0: Hello everyone and welcome back to yet another episode of the Alternate Oscars. I am your one and only host, Gabe Guaran, and with every episode I along with a special guest. We'll be celebrating and awarding our favorite films of each year starting in 1928 and going onwards. We'll discuss our brief thoughts on each film we nominate and comment on the actual Oscar year and some fun details on the ceremony. A few, a few rules that we always follow. We'll be strictly following the reminder list of eligible releases. Those can be found on the website and theoscurgoes2.com. The amount of categories will also change and evolve over, over time as a sort of tie into the Academy's evolution over time. Returning to this series will be the author of the website book reviews by a chick who reads everything. Welcome back, Emily Plakowski Malik. Hi.
1: It's nice uh, being here Gabe. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Yes, you're very welcome and. I'm excited to talk about the films of 1949, which is the year we're going to be talking about. And well, first off, um, how are you doing today? How has your day been going?
1: Going good. I've just been watching a lot of movies and taking care of things around the house. And this past month, I actually, or actually back in November, I got married. So I've just been settling into married life.
0: Um, Congratulations on that. That must have been very exciting.
1: Thank you very much. It really was. It was everything that I had hoped and dreamed
0: of. So, um, a good. So, the question I always ask my guests at the beginning of each episode is, "What were your favorite films of from this year that were not eligible?" This can be any film that was released in 1949, but was not on the minor list of eligible releases from this year.
1: Now that's a tough one, and it's not tough in the sense that um, there were films that, like a lot of the films I watched were part of the eligible list. It's the ones that weren't eligible that I'm, well, I guess the best way to say it, uh, there is a Marx Brothers film that was released in 1949, but was uh, slightly re-edited and then released the following year. The best way I can say it is it's a Marx Brothers film in name only, and people might think it's bad, and they are not wrong, but it's enjoyably bad. I would actually, so I would say, yeah, if you want to just watch it just as a film, then go right ahead. I mean, the finale is definitely worth watching. It is absolutely enjoyable and always possible. And the film, oh, and before I forget, the film is called Love Happy. Before I actually forgot about that.
0: That sounds interesting. Um, yeah, um, the ones I would go with um, uh, would be eligible for Oscars like The following Year, like Kind Hearts and Coronets. Um, obviously, The Third Man is a notable one from this year. And then just a little foreign films that Um, comprised my nominees for foreign film this year, like Bitter Rice and Late Spring.
1: Ah, I see. Yeah, I am planning to watch The Third Man as well as Adam's Rib. I was actually shocked. Yeah,
0: Adam's Rib.
1: Yeah, I was shocked knowing that it was actually eligible for next year, even though it was released in 49,
0: even though it was released in... Yeah, that happens sometimes. Yeah. The same thing I, happened with National Velvet between 44 and 45. Oh. Which was funnily enough, another MGM release.
1: Hmm. I wonder if they did it on purpose.
0: Hmm. <laughs> MGM was everything back in that heyday.
1: Uh, you got, yeah, you're definitely right about that. Ah.
0: So um, if we're through with that first question, I guess it's now time to jump into our nominee, uh, our categories, our nominees. And I assume that um, if you've listened, you know how the process goes, but I'll just repeat for those who don't already know, usually we start with the last category special effects and end with the first best picture. And we take turns announcing our nominees with the guests going first as always. So Emily, would you like to take it away with special effects?
1: Don't mind if I do. Uh, my nominees for best special effects are The Barclays of Broadway, Battleground, Mighty Joe Young, Sands of Iwo Jima, and White Heat.
0: Nice. I have only three nominees. My nominees are The Barclays of Broadway, Mighty Joe Young, and 12 O'Clock High.
1: Ooh, good choices.
0: Yeah. So next we have Best Film Editing.
1: My nominees for Best Film Editing are All the King's Men, Battleground, Champion, The Setup, and White Heat
0: nice um i have battleground a letter to three wives the setup white heat and yellow sky
1: nice we overlapped there as well as overlapped on the uh last one
0: too yeah i think there's only like a couple of differences
1: yeah that's fair enough i so mean next- yeah. I mean, we can't always like the same movie or nominate. Yeah,
0: yeah, of course, of course. (laughs) Um, So next we have Best Makeup.
1: Ooh, this is going to be a good one. I did a variety of uh, films for this one, and you'll see why. My nominations for Best Makeup are Battleground, In the Good Old Summertime, The Heiress, The Setup, and She Wore a Yellow Ribbon.
0: I can't even remember if I watched In the Good Old Summertime or not. That may have been a last-minute one that I watched and just forgot about for some reason, but who knows. Anyways, my mom always were about to say something.
1: Yeah, Um. Yeah. I put a In the Good Old Summertime in because Judy Garland just looks fabulous. Like The hair, makeup, just absolutely fabulous, and even the men look really good, too. Even... Even the ridiculous mustache ah. that Van Johnson wears at the beginning. I mean, mm, wonderful.
0: Ah. So my nominees are Battleground, Champion, The Heiress, The Setup, and Under Capricorn.
1: Oh, nice. I was actually uh, think like, Champion was so close. And then in the good old summertime just happened to be thrown in there. And... It's like now champion's probably like sixth place just because of how bruised uh Kirk Douglas looks. And I gave uh, the nomination also to the setup because of the similar makeup uh put on to Robin to Robert Ryan after he looked after he was all battered and bruised. I thought that was all pretty realistic,
0: yeah, it is, and especially with. Champion, I believe, like around this time, Stanley Kramer, starting as a producer. Um, his films were usually produced on really low, tight, economical budgets. So it's impressive what they did with such little money.
1: Ooh. I couldn't agree more on that.
0: So next we have best costume design.
1: Ooh. so which
0: is a lot of fun.
1: I know. Again, like with Best Makeup, I tended to go for a bit of a variety here, but I think there will be a little bit of a theme, but I'll let you figure that out. So my nominees for Best Costume Design are Battleground, The Heiress, In the Good Old Summertime, Little Women, and On the Town.
0: My nominees are All the King's Men, The Fallen Idol, the Heiress, Madame Bovary, and Under Capricorn.
1: Oh, we only, we only overlapped on one. Oh. Yeah. You know, there were so many uh, good films with so many good costumes. So it's like-
0: Yeah, uh, definitely.
1: It really depends on like someone's taste of like what their expectations are. Cause some people might be more drawn to the historical uh, dramas, or even just preferring more of the contemporary stuff. It's just it's just a matter of taste.
0: I don't feel like I represented both sides of that coin in my nominees. I think we both did for that manner. Oh, for that matter.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I had my contemporary nominees with a uh, battleground and on the town. Both costumes are pretty opposite from one another, and then. The rest are being more period pieces, but still good period pieces.
0: Yeah. So next we have Best Color Cinematography, mm. which was surprisingly more stacked than I expected.
1: <sighs> yeah. In fact, I think I had a little harder time with the uh, Black and White Cinematography, but I will I'll review my nominations for Best Cinema- er, I'm sorry. My nominations for Best Color Cinematography are The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, In the Good Old Summertime, Little Women, On the Town, and She Wore a Yellow Ribbon.
0: Nice. Um, So, my nominees are Little Women, On the Town, The Red Pony, Scott of the Antarctic, and She Wore a Yellow Ribbon.
1: I've not heard of the uh, Red Pony and the Scott of the Antarctic
0: yeah those um, I mean the Red Pony uh, has been noted for like Aaron Copland's score oh. it's a very famous score and Scott of the Antarctic I'm not even sure how I found that I, maybe it's just um, the the Jack Cardiff connection because he was one of three cinematographers on this movie
1: Oh, yeah, well, when I think of Scott at the Antarctic, uh, I think of a Monty Python sketch. So it's like, I'm glad to clarify that.
0: <laughs>
1: They're really funny. Yeah.
0: So next we have best black and white cinematography, which is sort of a bloodbath this year because there were a lot of good choices.
1: Oh, you bet they were. Okay. My nominees for best black and white cinematography are Battleground, Champion, The Heiress, Pinky, and The Setup.
0: Nice. Um, I like how you mentioned uh, Pinky. Even though that movie has issues, obviously, the cinematography isn't one of them.
1: Exactly. I mean, I there's a lot of wonderful shadow work that Ili Kazan does on there. And... I, I was actually most impressed with the wide shot of the area before, right before they go into the, uh, or at least the jail cell to meet with the judge after the whole brawl that happened early in the film, how there's this beautiful white, wide shot. And then in the corner that you do see a Confederate statue. I thought that was, that hadn't been one of those planned out shots. Beautiful, beautiful.
0: Yes, definitely. So, my nominees are Act of Violence, Battleground, The Heiress, The Setup, and White Heat.
1: Oh, man. I was thinking of White Heat for that uh, category, too, but like, oh, so many. There, you, you were right in saying that this is a bloodbath. It's like, I'm trying not to regret the uh, choices, but I. I think I have a good choices and yours are really good too.
0: Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're
1: welcome.
0: Um, so next we have Best Art Direction.
1: So my nominees for Best Art Direction are Battleground, The Heiress, Little Women, Pinky, and The Setup.
0: Nice. All very good choices, and I think the setup was probably um, sixth in line for me. Between that and on the town, yeah, I think on the town was just a bit for me because I uh, wanted to put on lim- put a limit on how many MGM productions I wanted to put in there.
1: Mm, yeah, that's understandable. I mean, when you have Cedric Gibbons doing the art, yeah. I mean everything's gonna look good even if the film is not that good
0: <laughs> yeah definitely so my nominees are battleground the fountainhead the heiress madame bovary and monsieur vincent
1: Ooh, so many good choices yeah you know, it's like, yeah the fountainhead was also pretty close on that one too it's like kind of all that architecture look Again, try. I'm I'm standing by my choices. Mm.
0: Yes. You have integrity.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: So next we have best sound recording.
1: So best sound recording, I have for my nominees, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, The Barclays of Broadway, Battleground, A Letter to Three Wives. And 12 O'Clock High.
0: Nice. So I have Battleground, Champion, A Letter to Three Wives, The Setup, and White Heat.
1: Ooh, all fabulous choices. And this was a good year for sound recording. Like, even the stuff isn't all that good. Like, there's some really good sound recording in them.
0: Definitely. So next we have best original song.
1: All right. My nominees for best original song are Baby It's Cold Outside from Neptune's Daughter, The Headless Horseman Song from The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, Lavender Blue from So Dear to My Heart, Prehistoric Man from On the Town, and through a long and sleepless night from Come to the Stable.
0: I did not know that um, there was an original song in On the Town. I assumed that all of them were part of the musical that it's based on, but I probably would have included that song had I known. Uh, Ah.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because only four songs from the original musical were in the film. And that was done because they felt that Leonard Burstein's score was far too complex, which makes me actually want to see like uh, the actual musical, whether it's a pro shot or live, to actually see how complex the score really is. But the songs, a lot of the songs that are written for the film, really good. And Prehistoric Man is the best, even if it's just them just kind of like goofing around and and doing everything how you're not, what you're not supposed to do in a museum, but still fun.
0: Yeah. So my nominees are Baby is Cold Outside from Neptune's Daughter, My Foolish Heart from My Foolish Heart, Lavender Blue from So Dear My Heart, and So Dear to My Heart, um, Through a Long and Sleepless Night from Come to the Stable, and You'd Be Hard to Replace from The Barclays of Broadway
1: Is a good song. Yeah, I think that had to be a six on my list.
0: Yeah, so next we have best original score.
1: All right, for best original score, I have The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, All of the King's Men, Champion, The Heiress, and White Heat.
0: Nice. So, Max Steiner was a near miss for me. Was a just a barely miss for me, as my nominees are Bicycle Thieves, The Fallen Idol, The Heiress, A Letter to Three Wives, and Madame Bovary.
1: We oh, just have one in common, but those scores are so good, and I'm glad you mentioned about Max Steiner because oh, the Found Head score. I I'm surprised that. The Fountainhead has not made into an opera. That score is just made for an opera. I would love to see The Fountainhead as an opera. That would be wonderful. I'd give all my money to the entire world just to hear that score. And then just people singing out about uncompromised individualism, uncompromised individualism.
0: (laughs) That would be something. So, um, okay, so next we have this cartoon short film. Here's the thing, though, I completely forgot about it. I didn't realize I didn't actually have any, take the time to watch any cartoon short films or nominate any of them, so I'm gonna have to skip out on that one if you want to list your nominees. All right,
1: well, I can certainly do that. I did watch some I mean, I watched both of them yesterday. I'm glad that we have the internet for that, whether on YouTube or Daily Motion. Thank you. So, my three nominations for Best Cartoon Short Film are Hatch Up Your Troubles, Rabbit Hood, and Toy Tinkers. Nice. Okay.
0: So, next we have Best Foreign Film.
1: All right, so for this one, I only watched two foreign films, but both of them are just so good, and especially into the genre of neorealism. So my nominees are "Bicycles Thieves from Italy, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, "Pazion" from Italy.
0: Both are very... um notable features um, in terms of neorealism. So those are good choices. So my nominees are Bitter Rice from Italy, Late Spring from Japan, and Salon, Mexico from Mexico.
1: Nice. Yeah, I'm hoping one day to watch Bitter Rice. Like I was trying to uh, get it through interlibrary loan, but couldn't get it in time.
0: Yeah, I just watch all my movies illegally, on illegal sites.
1: Well, don't let uh, the federal government know about that.
0: Yeah, um, I I guess I'm buying up my time. Who knows? Yeah. But next we have best adapted screenplay.
1: All right, Ooh, this one is also a. Uh, a bloodbath, because you had so many good uh, best adaptations, oh, but, but only five made the cut. So, my nominations for Best Adapted Screenplay are All the King's Men, Bicycle Thieves, Champion, The Heiress, and A Letter to Three Wives.
0: So my nominees are Bicycle Thieves, Day of Wrath, The Fallen Idol, The Heiress, and A Letter to Three Wives.
1: Ah, we got three in common. That's awesome.
0: So next we have Best Original Screenplay.
1: Ah, well, oh, this is gonna be a good one. My nominations for Best Original Screenplay are Battleground, Come to the Stable, Patsyan, Sands of Iwo Jima,
0: and White Heat. Nice, I like all those choices. So, um, my nominees are Battleground, A Canterbury Tale, Germany Year Zero, Passport to Pimlico, and White Heat. Ooh, nice
1: choices. And we, and we had two in common.
0: Yeah, we did. So uh, next we have Best Supporting Actress.
1: All right. Uh, we're getting to the acting categories. Ooh, this is gonna be juicy. So I had to rearrange a lot of my uh, Best Supporting Actresses, but I have my top five, so here they go. My nominations for Best Supporting Actress are Mercedes McCambridge for All the King's Men, Elizabeth Taylor for Little Women, Betty Garrett for On the Town, Ethel Waters for Pinky, and Margaret Weiterle for White Heat.
0: Nice. So... My nominees for Sporting Actress are Mercedes McCambridge in All the King's Men, Miriam Hopkins in The Heiress, Margaret Leighton in Under Capricorn, Margaret Witcherly in White Heat, and Anne Baxter in Yellow Sky.
1: Ah, you know, I'm glad you mentioned about Miriam Hopkins. She was just so close. I think she would have to be like sixth place. She was... You know, when I was watching The Heiress, I just thought, it's good to see Miriam Hopkins again. Uh, She was just so fun and designed for living. And I was was like, it's a surprise for me to actually see her uh, 16 years later.
0: So next we have Best Supporting Actor.
1: All right. My nominees for Best Supporting Actor are John Ireland for All the King's Men, Arthur Kennedy for Champion, Ralph Richardson for The Heiress, Robert Armstrong for Mighty Joe Young, and Gary Merrill from 12 O'Clock High.
0: Interesting selection of nominees. So mine are James Whitmore in Battleground, Thomas Gomez in Force of Evil, Ralph Richardson in The Heiress, Juano Hernandez in Intruder in the Dust, and Edmund O'Brien in White Heat.
1: Ooh, those are some really good choices. Yeah, I was thinking about a James Whitmore for Battlefield, but in all honesty, I wanted to award the entire cast. Like, if there was a category for best ensemble, Battleground would be part of it.
0: Uh, yes, it is a very good ensemble. Absolutely. So next we have Best Leading Actress.
1: Oh, man. Well, the category that I cannot wait for Be Kind Rewind to talk about. All right, so my nominee for Best Actress are Patricia Neal for The Fountainhead. Olivia de Havilland for The Heiress, Janine Crane for A Letter to Three Wives, Audrey Totter for The Setup, and Virginia Mayo for White Heat.
0: Oh, Virginia Mayo was a, was one of the actresses I considered for this lineup, but I ultimately went with Olivia de Havilland and The Heiress and Sheridan and I was a male war bride and Southern in the Letter to Three Wives. Linda Darnell in the Letter in the Letter to Three Wives. And Jennifer Jones and Madame Bovary.
1: Oh such good nominees. In fact Anne Southern and Linda Darnell, they were also like probably sixth and seventh place. Like they were originally on the list and then other ones just came in and I just All the actresses in A Letter Three Wives are fantastic, but I just thought that Janine Crane had delivered the strongest performance out of the three.
0: Very interesting. So next we have Best Leading Actor.
1: All right. So my nominations for Best Leading Actor are, Roderick Crawford for All the King's Men, Montgomery Cliff from The Heiress, Kirk Douglas for Champion, John Wayne for Sands of Iwo Jima, and James Cagney for White Heat.
0: Nice. Those are all um, very good choices. So my nominees are Kirk Douglas and Champion, Ralph Richardson in The Fallen Idol, Robert Ryan in The Setup, James Cagney in White Heat, and Gregory Peck in Yellow Sky.
1: Ah, huh, I see you included a Gregory Peck performance that wasn't 12 o'clock high.
0: Yeah. um, He's actually interesting this time, so 12 o'clock high.
1: <laughs> well, when we get to that film, I'm sure we'll have a lot of bashing to do on it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So next we have Best Director.
1: Ooh, oh, this is a very juicy one. So my nominees for Best Director are Robert Rawson for All the King's Men, William A. Wellman for Battleground, Vittorio De Sica for Bicycle Thieves, William Wyler for The Heiress, and Joseph L. Mankiewicz for A Letter to Three Wives.
0: Those are all good choices, and this was a good year for directors. Like, there are a lot I considered, but I ultimately, the five I've settled on are Vittorio De Sica for Bicycle Thieves, Carol Reed for The Fallen Idol, William Wyler for The Heiress, Joseph L. Mankiewicz for Litter to Three Wives, and Rob Walsh for White Heat.
1: Oh. Those are so good. Wow Walsh was really close, but unfortunately didn't make the cut.
0: So. That was spectacular. So now it's time to go back to the start and announce our winners. Oh, we start wow. with special effects, we end with-
1: oh. Okay, Best what about, picture. Uh, yeah, what about Best Picture? You need to wear nominees for that.
0: Oh, shit. I'm sorry. I almost forgot. My bad. Um, Best Picture. We still need to announce the nominees for Best Picture. That's all right. So, um, next we have Best Picture.
1: All right. My five nominees for Best Picture are All the King's Men, Battleground, The Heiress, a Letter to Three Wives and White Heat.
0: Nice. Those are all good choices. So my nominees are Battleground, The Fallen Idol, The Heiress, A Letter to Three Wives, and White Heat.
1: Nice. We have four in common. Woohoo.
0: Awesome. So, now it's time to announce our winners, now that we've announced all our nominees. So, as usual, we start with special effects, the last category, end with the first, best picture, and we take turns announcing our winners with the guest going first always. So, Emily, would you like to take it away with special effects?
1: Don't mind if I do. And the winner for Best Special Effects goes to Mighty Joe Young. I mean, I definitely want the Academy's decision and it's not hard to see why. I mean, they made the gorilla, they made Joe look so, like, it's one of the first things that Ray Harryhausen did and just the way that they uh, used him and just had him interacting with people and even tipping over the lion cage. I was like, wow, that that's really impressive. Impressive special effects. I mean, while today it kind of looks a little dated but I can see why it was absolutely impressive for 1949.
0: Definitely. So, and my winner is also the Mighty Joe Young. Not much mystery there, as is the most obvious special effects movie from 1949, but it really is impressive what they did, especially the stop motion that sure looks dated today, but still has a lot of entertainment value all these years later.
1: Absolutely. And it's it's a nice stepping stone for other uh, Ray Harryhausen creations. So I'm glad that people have to start somewhere, and I'm glad that uh, this is a good uh, foundational block for him.
0: Yeah. So next, we have Best Film Editing.
1: All right. And the winner for Best Film Editing is All the King's Men. Yeah, I was really impressed with the amount—I mean, the film has a lot of montages to it, but— I'm glad that like it's really effective in how they use those montages, because it's based on the Pulitzer Prize winning novel of the same name. And with many book to movie adaptations, there's always this pressure to put in everything possibly you can in there. And the reality is you can't exactly do that. And it sounds like they were trying to film almost everything that was in the book, but through the editing, they managed to Use those montages in a way to say he did this, he did that, and now we get on to like the most important thing about this section of the book. And yeah, I was really impressed to how they did that. So in a way, they managed to get almost everything without uh, sacrificing any of the entertainment value of it.
0: Definitely. So my and the winner is white teats.
1: That was going to be a very close choice on my part. Oh, it is so good.
0: So next we have best makeup.
1: All right. My winner for best makeup is the setup. Oh, just the makeup there is just absolutely amazing. Much like with Champion and how they're working on basically a shoestring budget, they just made uh, Robert Ryan so much battered and bruised that it's like I thought he was really needed to be taken to a hospital stat.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely looks like that. Ooh. So the winner for me is under Capricorn.
1: Hmm, I have not watched that movie.
0: Yeah, it's one of the lesser known out of Hitchcock movies, but it is, it's not one of his greatest works, but it is entertaining. Oh,
1: well, that's good to know.
0: So next we have Best Costume Design.
1: Alright, my winner for Best Costume Design is... the heiress.
0: And my winner is also the heiress.
1: Oh, the costumes there are absolutely fantastic, and also they looked pretty accurate to the eighteen forties. So I'm I'm glad that they try to put as much uh, detail to them as possible.
0: Absolutely. So next we have best color cinematography.
1: All right. My winner for Best Color Cinematography is the Academy's Decision with She Wore a Yellow Ribbon.
0: And surprise, no surprise, I co signed that choice. I even said- if I don't even really like the movie that much, I cannot deny the, the beauty, the sheer majestic beauty of Winton Hotch's photography and the experimental use of color.
1: And, of course, the most obvious, the yellows are very yellow. And the reds are very red. Yes. And the blues are very blue. And,
0: and the purples are very purple. And the pinks are very pink.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing how a lot of... I'm starting... The more I get into John Ford movies, the more I realize that... I mean, is it just me, or is a lot of his films more basically postcards from various locations? Like, here you have a postcard from Monument Valley, and it looks absolutely fantastic. And then The Quiet Man, it's basically an authentic postcard from Ireland. But what we, once we get And to, it looks
0: fantastic.
1: Exactly. And once we get to 50, 1952, I will definitely uh, gush on that cinematography. Yes.
0: And the way Maureen O'Hara is captured on film.
1: Yes. <laughs> Oh, uh, no, uh, just but I don't know we got to stick to 49 for now.
0: Yeah, next we have best black and white cinematography.
1: All right, my winner for best black and white cin- cinematography is Champion.
0: Nice, the director of photography on that was Franz Planer, and I previously rewarded him for a letter from an unknown woman, so that tracks.
1: Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, I really like the amount of use of natural lighting. Like you had mentioned, like it's working on a shoestring budget, and this just is reliance on very realistic lighting. It makes it the film more real and even seedy at times. Very effective.
0: So for best black and white cinematography, my winner is the setup. Oh, nice.
1: Both boxing films, both are winners for best black and white cinematography. Oh, wonderful. And it was
0: film noir touches as well. And those great uses of shadows and lights. Yes. Oh,
1: God. especially when Robert Ryan's trying to escape from the Bobsters. Oh, just yeah, beautiful. Just absolutely gorgeous.
0: So next we have best art direction.
1: All right. My winner for Best Art Direction is Little Women.
0: So Little Women. Nice. Yeah,
1: this version is not my favorite, but I was amazed by a lot of just the sets like of the house that the sisters live in and even Lori's grandfather's place. They just look so warm and and opulent a lot of the time. It's just fantastic. Good job. Good job, little women.
0: That's very nice. So, my winner is The Heiress.
1: Ah, you know, it's a funny thing. The Heiress was my winner for the longest time because I just love how the sets are like they're confined but they're also opulent in a way that's very conservative. Like they sh- like uh, the Slopers basically show their wealth by cramming every possible thing into their uh, parlor room. And I, so yeah, I just love the art direction on there, but little women just won out for me.
0: Understandable. So next we have best sound recording.
1: All right. My winner for Best Sound Recording is A Letter to Three Wives.
0: Nice. That's a very inspired choice. Just the overlapping of dialogue and the way they integrate certain dialogue into sound effects, which is so innovative.
1: Oh, it was definitely it was very impressive, especially when they go into uh, Linda Darnell's uh back character's backstory with the dripping water. Oh, it was fantastic.
0: So next we have oh wait, sorry, I forgot to announce my winner. My winner is Battleground. Uh,
1: yes. That was that had to be one of my other choices, especially with the amount of.
0: Yep, the war, the gunshots, everything.
1: Yes, and just how varied it is, because I know that sometimes war films can usually have the same gunshots over and over again. I'm looking at you, Dunkirk. <laughs> but this, like the sound effects here for like the gunshots and the grenade uh, throwing and a lot of the bombs exploding was all very varied and just, and it was all really good. So, good choice on that.
0: So next we have Best Original Song.
1: Ah, all right. So, my winner for Best Original Song is Lavender Blue from So Dear to My Heart.
0: Nice, that's a good choice. So, my winner is You'd Be Hard to Replace from The Barclays of Broadway. Ah, good choice there too.
1: (sighs) And I think the song that actually won Best Original Song is one that's not actually a real Christmas song and only had been co-opted into that, mainly because of the title.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the rape anthem.
1: Yeah. Christmas rape anthem, even though
0: <laughs>
1: John Legend and Kelly Clarkson tried to did a cover trying to make it less problematic. And it just still uh, confused people. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason why people are still like, uh yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, but it's like it's not. Really yeah,
0: if somebody. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. If somebody tries to play that um to you, like as like, to try and like woo you or something, red flag. Just say it. Yeah. No,
1: or just run out the door. Just run out, <laughs> even if it's cold outside.
0: Yeah. So next we have best original score.
1: All right, my winner for best original score is The Heiress.
0: Nice, that's an obvious, brilliant choice. As Aaron Copeland is a genius, and my winner is also The Heiress.
1: Yes. Oh. It's so good. Cause the thing that made the score stand out and not just of Aaron Copeland, but also the fact is how subtle it is and how reflective of the story it is. Like you contrast that with something like Max Steiner's score for the Fountainhead and how over the top and bombastic. Whereas yeah, on its own, it's fantastic. But serving like the beats to the story sometimes it can be absolutely unintentionally hilarious. Like, there's this dramatic pause when one character asks Gary Cooper's character about lunch, and it's like, there's just this... Just just this... uh, The music just dropping out, and it's just like, what? How is this this important to the story? But when you have moments like in The Heiress, like, the musical moment that sticks out to me is at the beginning of the movie where uh catherine olivia de havlin's character comes out in her cherry red dress and she shows it to her dad and the dad says that her mother wore that better wore that color better and you have this musical moment where it sounds like it's like a, a small gasp and it just works so effectively
0: Yeah, such a great moment. Mm-hmm. So next we have, um, well, since you're only, only you are doing um, cartoon short, would you like to announce your winner?
1: Of course. My winner for best cartoon short film is Hatch Up Your Troubles. It's such a good Tom and Jerry uh, cartoon. It's just so cute with a uh, the wood, the baby woodpecker, thinking that Jerry is his mama—it's just so adorable. I love it, and all the and the other nominees. I love them too.
0: So my win. Oh, never mind. I forgot. So next we have best foreign film.
1: So the winner for best foreign film is Bicycle Thieves. I mean. Now, I mean, no offense to Patsyong, but Bicycle Thieves is one of the most influential foreign films, not only for like neorealism realism, but just exposure to, <clears throat> sorry, just kidding, for international films in general. I can see why a lot of uh, filmmakers were inspired by this, just of how real it feels. And of all the films that I watched this year, this was certainly the most relatable. I mean, I don't know how many, I don't know if people can wholly relate to a story about, say, getting a letter saying that um, that this woman's run off with one of your husbands. I mean, it's a simple story, but I don't know how relatable is that. But I'm sure a lot of people can relate to getting something stolen and just being sheer, sheer desperation trying to find it.
0: Yeah, all good points. My winner is Late Spring from Japan.
1: Well, I have not seen that one. I'll have to check it out.
0: Yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's such a great movie. So next we have Best Adapted Screenplay.
1: All right. My winner for Best Adapted Screenplay is A Letter to Three Wives.
0: And my winner is also A Letter to Three Wives. So we agree on that.
1: Yay. That's amazing because, I mean, I feel like there will be people who probably would dismiss it as some kind of chick flick, but it really, it's not just that. It's, it may not be the most exciting, but it's certainly compelling. Cause it's a story about these three women analyzing their marital relations and seeing what could have possibly gone wrong to would lead their husbands to run off with this woman. And the way that the film does it's just fantastic.
0: Definitely. So, next we have Best Original Screenplay.
1: All right. My winner for Best Original Screenplay is Battleground.
0: Nice. That's a good choice. So, my winner for Best Original Screenplay is Drumroll, Please. It is White Heat. Yes.
1: Heat was very close for me. Very, very close. I just love the, I love the fact that it was actually based on the real-life experiences of Robert Parrosh when he was in the unit helping out the uh, 101st uh, Airborne Division during the Battle of the Bulge. Because it was interesting. When I was watching that film, I thought there were moments, there was a lot of things that could have easily been gags in a 3 Stooges short. Like with the digging and cooking eggs in the helmet. I was like, that that, that, looks like a wonderful gag in a three stooges short. But of course, looking up on the tree for on imbd.com, that that was actually things that happened. And I was like, what? This this actually happened? It it blew my mind. So props to you, Robert Pirosh, you get my vote.
0: Yeah, definitely. So next we have Best to, best Supporting Actress.
1: All right. My winner for Best Supporting Actress is Margaret Weicherly for White Heat.
0: Excellent choice. She would be my runner-up. But my winner is Miriam Hopkins in The Heiress.
1: Ah, yes. Man, so many good choices in that category.
0: So many good choices. So next we have Best Supporting Actor.
1: Right. My winner for Best Supporting Actor is Ralph Richardson for The Heiress.
0: I know this may be a bit controversial for some, but my winner for Best Supporting Actor, my winner is James Whitmore in Battleground.
1: That's all right. I mean, that's still a really good choice. I would stand by my uh, comment from earlier and just reporting the entire ensemble. Like if there was a (laughs) thing
0: ensemble
1: for the Oscars, give it to Battleground
0: definitely Mm -hmm. so next we have best leading actress
1: well i'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast would think about one person and one person only for best actress and i'm not going to get any further my winner is the Academy's Decision, and one of the best decisions that the Academy has ever done, Olivia de Havilland for The Heiress.
0: And, shocker no shocker, for Best Actress, my winner is the Academy's Decision, and one of the greatest winners in this category, Olivia de Havilland in The Heiress. (laughs)
1: Woo! Oh, it's amazing. I just want to say... So before going into the heiress, like I had heard a lot of things about her performance and I didn't want to get too overhyped on this. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go in this with a blank slate as much as possible. And then when I was watching it, it's like, it was not, it was so easy to see why a lot of people would gush over Olivia de Halfland in this role. I'm sure that there's people who've said this, but this is a role that rivals that of Vivian Lee in Gone with the Wind. It's, these are just so much, so juicy performances, but in such different ways. Like, when we talk about um, Scarlett O'Hara, like, a lot of things do happen to her, and Vivian Lee just is really good at, like, conveying, like, the various emotions of, like, someone who's a teenager to the 12 years that the Gone with the Wind spans on her life. And, and just so many, and, and the film does a really good job of actually empathizing with her. And there's just a lot of things that I wouldn't wish to anyone that actually does happen to her. But at the end of the day, Scarlett O'Hara is still a brat, a spoiled brat. But with, um, Olivia de Havilland in The Heiress as Catherine Sloper, you see a very dynamic character. As in, Catherine starts off as this sweet, shy, awkward girl. Then once she falls in love with uh, Morris Townsend, she becomes more confident as a lover. But once she gets deceived, it's she becomes so cold. And it's, you're not, I was watching, it. I wasn't sure if she was Like, uh, will she ever love again? Who knows? But it seems like at the end, she may be happy just being a spitster. And it just just feels so much, and Olivia de Havilland just conveys so much in her performances. Just the facial expressions and the body language. It just makes you believe like she's going on this journey, just going along for the ride and, she's taking us all with there just discovering as the moment actually unfolds
0: <sighs> wonderful so next we have best leading actor
1: all right my winner for best leading actor is james cagney for the for white heat
0: Awesome, that is such a good choice. And yet not my choice. Ooh. Because for best actor, my winner is Gregory Peck for Yellow Sky.
1: Oh, Ooh, very interesting. Well, we'll yeah. have to check out Yellow Sky. I've always Yeah, known- it's
0: a very underrated Western. Mm. That yeah. takes a familiar story and actually adds complexity to it. Gregory Peck is surprisingly great doing a more morally ambiguous sort of character.
1: Oh, that's interesting because I've been realizing some things about Gregory Peck. I think he's. I have to watch more movies with him, but I'm starting to develop this theory that his best performances usually involve him channeling someone else. For example, when we think of Roman Holiday, we usually think of Gregory Peck channeling screwball comedy-era Cary Grant. And to Gilly Mockingbird, he's basically channeling Gary Cooper specifically in High Noon.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting... um... That's an interesting point. Yeah. I can see that.
1: I'll have to watch more movies in order to solidify that theory.
0: Yeah. So, for best director, next we have Best Director.
1: All right. My winner for Best Director is the Academy's choice of Joseph L. Mankiewicz for A Letter to Three Wives.
0: Nice. That's a very good choice and one that. I feel doesn't get enough appreciation these days. So, my winner is William Wyler for The Heiress.
1: Ah, also a really good decision. Uh, both our winners are very strong in that. I mean, both in different
0: ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, Joseph L. Mankiewicz. I mean, he just does a really good job with making what is kind of a not particularly interesting story and makes it very compelling. And just through like, protecting the sound recording and the bringing out the best performances and everybody involved. Oh, so good, so good. And even to the point that uh, even, I realized that even The Simpsons actually parodied A Letter to Three Wives in, in a 2010 episode.
0: I don't think I've seen that episode.
1: I think it's been a while since I've seen that one, but I didn't realize that they were parenting a letter to three wives until I looked it up on Wikipedia. I was like, oh, okay. That's very interesting. At least somebody remembers a letter to three wives. So it makes me proud.
0: And next, finally, we have best picture.
1: All right. My winner for best picture is the heiress. Mm. And
0: my winner is also the heiress. Yes. It really oh. is perfect.
1: Oh, It really is. Everything about it from the designs, the acting, just so good. Everything about it is so good. And I'm glad that people still rave about it this very day. It's a film that's absolutely worth the hype. So for all those listeners out there, if you have not seen The Heiress, please do so.
0: Definitely. So yeah, with all that, do we want to talk about the actual best picture winner from this year? That being all the King's men.
1: I would love to.
0: So, oh, you go ahead, sorry. Uh,
1: so I thought it was a really good picture. Like, as, as I mentioned in my best editing uh, category, it is a very strong picture about how even the most honest of men get corrupted. And I thought the film does a really good job in showing that. And Roger Crawford is, I, I couldn't think of another actor that could convey Willie Stark as good as him. Now, of course, I've not read the book, but I'm sure the book is, is, is good. But the movie just does a really good job of taking what's in the book and just putting it onto movie, onto film. And even just all, a lot of the uh, nominations for Best Picture that year, they are pretty solid. I mean, I, that's why I kept four of them. I mean, I mean, toss out 12 o'clock high and- you have a pretty perfect lineup, but at the end of the day, is when I watched the other movies, I didn't really think about all the Kingsmen all that much. I think it's one of those where it's like you have to really appreciate it when you're watching it, but that's just my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's um, when it comes to um, when it comes to all the Kingsmen. I think its biggest issue for me is its lack of surprises. Like, I feel like time and has really dulled its impact because all the tropes that it established are just so common nowadays. Like the politically, like the corruption of man, like you said, how even the most um, well-meaning of people can get corrupted by the system. It's an interesting artifact for 1949, but I'm not sure it really has a staying factor.
1: Yeah. Although I do find it interesting that they remade uh, it in 2006. I haven't seen the remake, have you?
0: Uh, no, but I've heard things about it.
1: Hmm, like what kind of things?
0: Uh, that's terrible
1: oh jeez I huh. thought it kind of makes me wonder why they actually made the decision to remake a film that you know not many people actually talk about it i mean even right now and even your previous and previous guests on this podcast have raved about the eras if there's a film that basically defines 1949 it's it's going to be the heiress unless all the king's men.
0: Yeah. So yeah, basically that. Mm -hmm. And I guess you mentioned um, 12 o'clock high. Do we want to talk about that briefly?
1: We might as well. Yeah, it was nominated for a bunch of things and uh, I, okay. For me, it's basically the Bohemian Rhapsody of 1949. As in, this could have been a very interesting movie. It has a very interesting subject matter with discussing the psychological effects of of the soldiers, particularly of pilots. But oh boy, it does it in the most boring way possible. I'm sorry, but a good chunk of this film, I was like, why is there so much talking? And why are these shots so flat? I, I just, I just, I was like, I don't know. I don't care. And even like a lot of the characters, I just couldn't get into. And maybe it's just kind of how of my expectations of how uh, mental health should be handled. But even like, oh my God. Even, uh, what was the guy's name in Mulan? Uh, The General. I was like, general jamesy i think so like even he's more optimistic about survival than gregory peck is in this movie it's oh geez even, yeah. uh, even i had tweeted about it uh i think it was like sometime last week getting people's reactions because i was shocked to see that there's people who actually like this movie and the fact that it also turned into a tv show it's like why?
0: I didn't know that.
1: Oh yeah, there is, but let me look that up.
0: I'm apparently it still gets raves reviews to this day and it was added in the National Film Registry. Which in- is kind of wild because I don't hear people talk about it often today.
1: Yeah, uh, no. Yeah, apparently 12 O'Clock High was in the mid 60s and ran for three seasons.
0: Odd. But I guess I understand on some level.
1: Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Even the winner, like, the only... I think it's... Dean Jagger. Yeah. If you were to tell me, I couldn't even point out who Dean Jagger was in that movie. That was... His performance was just so unmemorable.
0: Yeah, he really is. Just unmemorable. And yeah. Andre. it's just dare. Yeah. I can't even get his strong feelings about it.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's why I uh, chose the other guy, uh, Gary Murrell, because at least he was the only character that I actually cared about. The guy who actually cared about the mental health before is the uh, higher-ups told him to basically go sedate himself and get demoted. Literally, and the cool <laughs> was that you first go to bed. Before you do that, you have to inject yourself for 24 hours sleep. And I was like, wait, you're basically telling him to sedate himself. <laughs> oh, oh, Just the way they handle some of these things, but... I guess it's on the more reflective side of how higher-ups have handled the stuff like a PTSD, but, Oh, God. Oh.
0: So, um, yeah. I guess do we want to um, uh, get into the audience questions? We have only two, so this should be pretty easy. Um, whose boxing picture do you prefer more, the setup or the champion? Oh, by the way, this is from Owen Daly. Um, they have two questions. Um, whose boxing picture do you prefer more, the setup or champion? And um, we'll just answer that. Oh, well, the other question is, why do you think none of the three wives, women, were nominated? Well,
1: oh, well I'll answer the uh, first question first. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's like soon after I watched both of them and I watched them back to back, I was like, both of these are really good uh, boxing films that really depict the sport in the realest form possible. But I would have to go with the setup, mainly because the concept, the, the plot's a little more interesting than a story about the rise of a guy who's full of shit but so charming as a boxer. Whereas like set up their stakes involved and I just love how it's all done in real time. And also a shout out to all the audience members in the setup, they are just so interesting. Like you have the women telling them to beat them up, beat them up and the blind guy getting really interested in it and the fat guy also getting very interested like into, into, into the game too.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So I would agree that um, battleground is the better. No, no, I'm sorry, got mixed up. The setup is the better of the two. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: I just feel like the plot as mo- is less traditional than that of champion, which is very much rise and fall of this good turn bad guy who's corrupted. Um,
1: really. Was well, Kurt Douglas really bad corrupted? I mean, I think he was already corrupted uh, before.
0: Uh, oh, oh, well, as much as he could be, but yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I generally agree with a lot of your points and that set up is overall better. So the next question that Owen had was, um, why do you think none of the three wives women were nominated?
1: Well, it's it kind of goes back to what I was saying about A Letter, Three Wives in general, is that it's not a particularly exciting movie, but when you do give it a chance, it really is compelling. And, and I imagine it's something that a lot of film goers uh, feel these days that anything that generates the most excitement is the ones that would be the most, that will get people like the most talking points. And when you have the most talking points, you might have more nominations. And it's, it's a shame because all three women, uh, Janine Crane and Southern and Linda Darnell, they do a fantastic job. And of course, I mean, Janine Crane did get nominated just for the wrong movie and um, for Pinky. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. You want to talk about Peaky once we're done with the questions?
0: Um, sure, I guess. Um, but yeah, I would agree with you on those points. Um, I guess they just canceled each other out. Um, given the actual lineup, I would have been fine with all three of from being nominated, and it's disappointing to see them all miss. Um. Yeah, it's kind of hard to understand, kind of hard to explain why, but it is what it is. But the next question is from Fritz. of Fritz and the Oscars. Hi, Fritz. Is Olivia the most obvious winner in the Best Actress category, um, in terms of strengths of the performance and the weakness of the comp- of the competition?
1: Oh uh, well. There is no doubt that she is one of the strongest winners of this category. It's, it's a little hard to say if she is the strongest, so... And also it's like, I didn't watch all of the uh, the actresses that were nominated this year. I mean, I did watch Pinky and Come to the Stable and, you know, they're they are what they are. But it's like, even with my nominations, Olivia de Havilland just crush it. She still crushes it. I think it's just, it's just that strong of a performance.
0: Yeah, definitely. A good result of points. It's, um, yeah, agreed with all of points in terms of the uh, competition and the strength of the performance. It was just undeniable. Mm-hmm. Even at the time, there's just no denying it, no matter what um so yeah do we want to talk about Pinky now since those are the two questions we had
1: might as well I mean I find Pinky to be very interesting as in I was looking up some information about uh 1949 in general and apparently it was the second highest grossing film of that year the only film topping it was Jolson Sings Again, which I avoided watching that film because I know how you and your guest for 1946 had bashed the Jolson story. So it's like, if it's really not that good, I'm just gonna avoid watching the sequel.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I skipped, I think I skipped Jolson Sings Again as well. I was like, there's no reason why I need to see this. Um, <laughs> yeah, Pinky is really clumsy and oddly handled in terms of what he's trying to do beyond the, um, beyond well, John Ford was originally going to direct it, and I think he picked out Gene Crane I don't know who did, but it may have been him, and then he was fired and replaced with Elia Kazan who let me pull up a quote I know he said something not too flattering about Gene Crane I think I know what quote it is okay so he said Jean Crane was a sweet girl but she was like a Sunday school teacher I did my best with her but she didn't have any fire it's hard to disagree with him yeah and yeah yeah because
1: the thing is with that film, is that it could have been an excellent film. And knowing the subject matter and how I think it was only one other time prior to 1949 that had dealt with racial passing, and that was the original Imitations of Life. There's, but of course, with not only your lead actress being a white woman playing a light skinned black woman, I mean, no offense to Janine Crane, but it's like any white woman cast in that role would be getting the same kind of bashing that Janine Crane would have. It's just Janine Crane had a much stronger performance in A Letter to Three Wives. But, but it's like it almost makes me want to take Rebecca Hall, put her in a time machine and then bring her to 1949 just so she can fix Pinky. I mean, I'm sure there's other things that you want that I could easily do with a time machine, but the most yeah. Would be taking Rebecca Hall, taking her in 1949, please fix this movie. Because there's a lot yeah. of things that could work. And in it, it does say things that I think are certainly important. But then again, I'm a white woman, so my, mm, this, my uh, uh thoughts and ideas might be a little limited. As in I did like the fact yeah. that we did talk about like how poking fun and how race is just basically a social construct. But you do have other issues with the implication that, that uh, Pinky is just like another the black woman should stay in her place. And it seems like a lot of the bad people in the movie are the racist ones, like the guys that try to rape Pinky and even Miss uh, M's, M's uh, snarky and stuck up cousin. It just, it's just more of those implications that I feel like the film could have done better. But I do have to appreciate of what the film did because apparently, I'm gonna look this up. So apparently it was banned by the city of Marshall, Texas for its uh, subject matter. And apparently in there was uh, W.L. Gelling managed the segregated Paramount Theater where blacks were Black people were restricted to the balcony and getting booked for Pinky for exhibition in February 1950, a year in which the First Amendment did not protect movies. This was subsequent to the case, Mutual Films Corporation versus Industrial Commission of Ohio, or at least, oh, that's after the case. But there was a landmark case in 1952 Lee Joseph Bernstein Incorporated versus Wilson that had declared the landmark free speech case that extended first amendment protections to film. So I will give Pinky that credit as in Pinky crawled so films like Passing could run.
0: Good point. I feel like this in an odd way needed to be made so that we could get somewhere better.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it's worth looking at it in that context but as a film it just feels very awkward just knowing where we would get and even for the time considering actresses like Lena Horne and Dorothy Dandridge were in the running to play the pinky
1: part of me wishes to go back in time and actually lobby for them to actually get that role but, of course, I can't yeah. find a time machine anywhere, so yeah, I'll have to find it sometime. We can wish. hmm
0: So, do you have any final thoughts on this year as a whole?
1: So, you know, it was, a, like we had talked about on, on Twitter, it was a pretty solid year. Like, the highs were, you know, were fairly high, and the lows were fairly low and watched a lot of films all in between, and it was a pretty solid year. And I have a question for you, Gabe. What are your best two seconds of any film from
0: 1949? Uh, The Ending of the Era, so I'll just go with that.
1: Oh, man especially Montgomery Cliff, but banging on the door yelling, Catherine! Yeah. Catherine! Yeah. Catherine! <laughs> oh,
0: so yeah.
1: yeah. I think that for the long time was my best two seconds until I saw White Heat and the end where James Cagney goes, made it, ma! Top of the world!
0: <sighs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: guess. So, Emily, this was such a fun episode to record. Thank you so much for coming back to the show Um, again. And I will look forward to talking to you again for future episodes.
1: Absolutely. I'm looking forward to uh, talking about films of 1952. I've been watching a lot of films from that year and oh, boy. We got a lot to talk about.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so um.
1: <laughs> oh, you're, I love how you just kind of did a, uh, with your uh, lips.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't even notice. Donald O'Connor. I'm the Donald O'Connor now.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> just moving with lips, like. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. So um. <laughs> uh, um of course how do we find you on social media and such so and how can you find your site
1: so you can find my site book reviews by a chick who reads everything at chick and you can also find uh the book reviews by a chick who reads everything on it also has a facebook page and you can also find me on Twitter under, uh, with the, uh, at EJB0092, as well as on Instagram with uh, Emily underscore Blachowski. Yeah, I still have my maiden name on there.
0: So, um, uh, I want to thank everyone for hanging in for this long overdue final um, season finale. And I wish you all a happy holidays and a Merry Christmas. And just stay tuned and hang forward for the next chapter, which will, um, there are a lot of exciting things planned for 2022. That's all I'll say. We'll be picking things back up in 2022 there's going to be an Oscar nominations reaction, so stay tuned for that. So there's a lot to be excited about. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at GabeJoker with two underscores. Find the Alternate Oscars web um, account at Alternate Oscars. Um, also, it has a Patreon page at Alternate Oscars. I At least I think that's how you'll be able to find it. And then I'm also on Instagram at Gabe underscore Warren on Letterboxd, at Mr. Hulo. And I'm also on Facebook again, if you're interested because I decided I need that back in my life for some reason, but um, just be sure to rate and review this podcast for visibility's sake. Um, Subscribe through whatever server you use. And until the next episode, sit back and relax. Cheers and enjoy. And happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Alternate Oscars. Happy holidays. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your 2022. No, 2021, I meant. But yeah.
1: Happy holidays. Take care of
0: yourselves.
1: And the merry bells keep ringing. Happy holidays to